0: It's Player 456, the UK's first and original Squid Game podcast and we're into a third part of our deep dive into the episode Hell. My name is Jack Shaw and joining me as always is my friend and co-host Colin McMillan, how are you?
1: I'm good mate, thank you. Um, we're getting to the kind of the climax of this episode but it's, it's such a good episode, there's so many good stuff going on in it. I thoroughly enjoyed discussing it mate, how's you, are you okay?
0: Yeah I am good man and i Don't really want to have any chit-chat here. I just want to dive straight in, if I'm being perfectly honest, mate, because we've been introduced to the families of the characters, basically, and this exploration of how their situation doesn't just impact them personally, but is having a massive impact on the, the people that they love. It's actually quite an upsetting episode, to be honest with you, and it's kind of, in a way, almost as awful as the games that they've try to escape this prison that they're stuck in.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's easy just to kind of have a lot of shows with kind of one-dimensional characters where the only things that matter are what they do in the there and the then. What this has managed to do in just two episodes is build complex backstories and situations for all the main characters, but also still have enough time to show you the impact their actions have had on their loved ones, be it having to flee the country in an aeroplane, be it a young boy in an orphanage-type situation, all on his own with no expectation of ever seeing his mother again, another mother potentially losing a foot, and another mother's just hopes and dreams for what her son she thought had achieved all been in tatters and not been true. It's remarkable storytelling to be this far away, far along with the story and to have had so much scope into it already in just two episodes. Is It's so, so good. It's...
0: Sweet, <laughs> I keep saying that. Is there morals here? Do you think the director is trying to push morals as well as the, the commentary on capitalism and social injustice and stuff like that? I, I think there's quite clear morals here, but I don't know what your thoughts are, Colin.
1: I think there is an element of that, Jack, because yeah, there is, a, there is some morals getting taught, I think, or directed at least in some way, to the viewer and that Most people that have got a Netflix account have got a of disposable income because a Netflix is a a thing you don't have to have. You choose to have it. And you've probably got a better life than the vast majority of characters in this show. And I think it does a really good job of showing you that people who their situation might have led you to dismiss them uh, or think that they're just a bit of a scumbag, etc. It's actually shown you how dire their situation is, the impact it has not on them, but also on their families and everything like that. And it just shows you basically that there's grey areas and there's reasons for everything. And you possibly shouldn't judge people that are a bit down on their luck because there's a whole big story there for each of them.
0: I think that's one of the biggest things here is the the grey areas, the nuance, mate. Like you have mentioned that we live in a society now where social media, Facebook, Twitter, leads to a lot of black and white thinking. So if you... If you don't think black, you must think white. If you don't think white, you must think black. And that is just not the way that real life is. And it's very much shining a light on... For example, we stay in Glasgow. There is a there's a big drug problem in Glasgow. You see a lot of junkies, they're called here. Drug addicts. It's easy to dismiss them as nobodies, basically. They all have stories. There's a reason why they've got there, and I think Squid Game is basically trying to point you in that direction, mate, and say, look, just because somebody is in debt, just because somebody has no fingers, in Ali's case, it's not, it's not black and white; it's very much grey. So I think that's a, a a very valid point you've made there, mate. The other thing, luck and fate—we spoke about this before—sort of, is it lucky, is it unlucky? That G Hood missed the train in the first episode and ended up playing the docchi game, basically. A little bit of luck and fate here. Hoon runs into Player One again and they share some noodles and a couple of drinks, basically. But one thing that I kind of noticed here was this is a cinematic or a TV trope, I suppose, is vocalising what's happened in the last couple of episodes and, to be fair, Player One his main duty here is just vocalising what's going on. A little bit of a trope there, and it's kind of the first, well, the second one, after the blood-licking thing that I noticed in the first episode, that you just go, right, okay, I've seen this before, I understand that, but it doesn't detract from the episode, really. It's there for good measure, and it just reiterates what we've been speaking about, basically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, if you've watched Austin Powers at all, it's a bit of Basil Exposition. (laughs) filling you in, and it's something that you, probably, you see probably more now on like network TV and stuff like that. They seem to have to do this every 20 minutes after the commercial break, just to remind you what was happening for, before adverts were thrown in your face for three minutes. So it's not something you get as much on Netflix stuff, but yeah, it's just a reminder. There's a lot going on in this show, and it's always good just to get a little bit of Basil exposition for everybody to make sure they're following it.
0: Well, that's it. We are building background stories here, and Doc Sue basically Player 101, we meet him, basically, and this is really brutal, this scene, mate, considering that we've just seen 255 people shot to death, this is the the most raw and brutal scene in it. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what's happening here with with 101? We kind of learn a little bit about his character and where he stands in the gangster world.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's funny that, because you've probably made your own assumption of that already, that He's the he's the gangster. He's the 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 Don, the Capo, whatever you want to call it. But the reality is that this big, tough, angry, strong-looking guy is actually just as fucked as the rest of them. And he's not the main man. He's not the he's not a Tony Soprano or a Paulie or even a Christopher. He's far further down the food chain than that. He's just a middleman uh, for some other gangsters. And there's bigger gangsters and bigger bosses after him. They're after him in quite a bad way and he's, he's he's lucky to survive this episode and get back to the Squid Games because it looks like there's a team of people ready to kill him.
0: Yeah, I think he's blasted billions of won or millions of pounds in some sort of Singapore casino, and they definitely want their money back. There are rumours that Doc Su has ran away because he is a bit of a shitbag, and the bosses are after him for all sorts of money. His gangster friend in the car as a slime ball, like he's yeah. even more of a slime ball than Doc Sue, player 101. But the murder scene, man, it's just so raw, brutal, and pretty disturbing. And this is why I didn't watch this. I watched this by myself. My girlfriend, Karen, won't watch things like this. And it's because of scenes like this, because this would really disturb most people the, the noise, the blood, the Absolute disregard for life shows you what this guy's all about. To be fair,
1: it does. It shows you that he's, he's ruthless. He'll he'll do anything, and he's probably done anything in the past as well. I really like that you mentioned the noise of the killing because that's a big thing that I'm led to believe. Because I've never killed anybody, but I'm led to believe that TV and movies often actually miss out on or don't use, which is when someone does get stabbed, when someone does get shot, the noise they make. Is repulsive, it's horrible. There's gasping for air, there's painful noises, but they can't get the pain out, so you just hear kind of hissing noises and gasps and things like that. So, this did that, it showed you a little bit of the real side of death and what it can look like. He tries to make his escape after doing this, and that bell starts ringing again ding, 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 ding. 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 His only way to get away is basically. He runs for it. He's on a bridge and he's got people on the left and people on the right of him. So there's only one way to go and that's jump the fence, jump the rail and off the fist, big massive bridge into the water and you assume he's potentially going to die because falling from that height into cold water at night time, it's not a given that you're going to get out of that again. And there's a little bit of foreshadowing again because later on in the game, it's falling rather than jumping off a bridge that leads to his demise later on. So yet more brilliant foreshadowing that as you're watching you've got no idea about but you remember and you realise the later and the more you watch the show
0: Also that he's getting kind of teamed up on so there's a team coming from the left, there's a team coming from the right, it's picking teams he's in the wee team by himself and decides to throw the knife at the other team and try to get away the only way he can which is to jump off of that bridge. So again, it's more teamwork, more like teams being in a better position than he is, which comes to the forefront when he knows what's coming up. In the tug-of-war episode, for example, so he makes sure his team is the biggest team, the best team. It doesn't always work out like that, which kind of it shows you a little bit of cleverness on his part, I suppose. I don't know if that's the right word that I'm looking for, but he manages to get away from a pretty dire situation. Another guy that is still in a dire situation, obviously, is Ji-hun. Um, he goes back to ask his daughter's mother for a loan. Kind of turns out that she's not all that well off neither. She's not in a great situation. And we learn a little bit more about what has happened in their relationship. I spoke about their relationship in episode one. Basically, where I was saying, look, she's obviously been let down multiple times by this guy and that's why she doesn't quite hate him I don't think but there are reasons for her attitude towards him and it kind of one of them is brought up here and again just another really clever piece of storytelling it's bad for the wife but it's also bad for Ji Hoon. what's happened to her mate so what's been happening
1: so I mean the first thing you find out about her life is she certainly can't give him the two million one that he's looking for because she basically just gets a, she gets pocket money off this new husband. And that's not a good situation to be in. But you also learn that in the past he witnessed a co-worker die, which has obviously had an impact on him like it would with anybody. And the timing of it made him miss his daughter's birth because of it. So you can't blame him for that part, I don't think, because of what went on to cause it. But he literally has been letting this daughter down since the day she was born.
0: We love jihun almost already, and he he's good, he's nice, but he's just a shit
1: dad. It's it's a real strange one for me, right, because he is so popular, and I completely drink the Jihun Kool-Aid, right? I love him and think he's great, but the more and more you hear about him, he is shit. He's a degenerate gambler. He's cancelled his mother's health insurance. She needs it. He doesn't even realise she's not well. Um, he hardly ever sees his daughter. He never pays child support or anything to them. He really should be the villain of this whole piece. But he's so charismatic and he's got such a good side to him and he really takes control of the situations during the game that he can't help but take it in by him. He, he's got something about him right from the start that is alluring and wants you to like him despite all the flaws to his character. And that's quite a good bit of writing and a great performance from the actor as well to bring those things out and make you like somebody when there's so many reasons not to.
0: Yeah, because the stepfather here offers him the money and says, look, here's the money. Don't visit us again. And Jehan punches him in the face, basically, and throws the money at him. So again, it's not about the money. It's not about that. He does have, he still wants to keep his daughter there even though he's a shit dad.
1: His heart's in the right place. He just fucks up all the time. And I suppose we can all relate to that in certain parts of our life. We've all fucked up and we've not wanted to and done things that aren't right, but they've been done for the right reasons, if you know what I mean. So I get there's a bit of an everyman part to him, and maybe that's why everybody likes him so much, because they can all associate in some ways with where he's at or what he's had to do.
0: Some more foreshadowing here with the bell, ding, ding, ding. I noticed this the second time I watched it. As Ji-hoon's leaving, his daughter takes a look into the corner of the room and there's an umbrella there and the camera just lingers on it for maybe a second or two longer than you would expect and before the cut. But then he goes outside, mate, and you notice as well it's pissing the rain. There's so many fucking umbrellas.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I mean I know where your is gonna come from and what you're gonna mention in a minute, but at the time of watching it. I noticed the umbrella, I noticed that he's outside and the stepdad comes out with the umbrella and the thing that went my head was, this stepdad bastard stepping out the door for two minutes, whereas he's about to go travelling, it should be him that needs the umbrella and he, the guy that's actually out walking about is one that's going to get soaking wet and I just saw that as another element of the kind of rich and poor divide and that the rich successful guy, he has the... Don't even want to say the comfort because it's just an umbrella, but he's got the comfort of an umbrella to keep himself dry, and Ji-Hun doesn't even have that. And
0: then his dog comes out, she's got an umbrella, <laughs> yeah, and he's standing there absolutely soaking wet without a hope in the world, basically. And the next episode is called The Man with the Umbrella. Again, pretty sure you've already watched this, but also ding ding ding. The honeycomb game foreshadows that pretty pretty clearly that cutting out an umbrella shape and a honeycomb is much harder than a square or a triangle, and we will get there. But again, foreshadowing, just brilliant here.
1: Yeah, I mean, just on that foreshadowing, obviously we're going to talk a lot about the honeycomb stuff later on in the next episodes, but his last image or memory of his daughter was her holding an umbrella. Looking and you've got to wonder if that's Quinty's decision making and why he's picked the umbrella when it comes to the honeycomb game.
0: I don't want to jump too far ahead, but Sang Wu's got a lot to fucking answer for in that episode.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'll be a lot of chat about that, I'm sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a slight change of pace here for the first time, Jack, and it kind of runs through the rest of the show, really. Uh, almost a mini-show within a show where you've now got this police investigation going on, don't we? Where the guy that was coming at the police station earlier on and noticed him trying to tell the story starts to take an interest in it and this runs through the show and the two stories don't often mix with each other. They're almost separate, almost exclusively until the end. But it's quite well done and this is the start of it here.
0: It's sweet. It's fantastic storytelling again. Otherwise... How else are you meant to know the predicament that the staff members are in? How, how else are you meant to know that? He manages to get a circle, a square, a triangle. He manages to get into the front man's office. It's just fantastic storytelling. It really is. The police officer's called uh, Jun Ho. There's a really sad scene. I don't know if we've probably skipped past it, but he's in the car on the phone to what appears to be his mother, and he's sort of explaining to her, look, we will we will find them, but we don't know how long they've been looking for because it would appear that it's been quite a long time, but he gets into his brother's flat, basically, and there's some key indicators as to what's happening in the show and a little bit, again, foreshadowing or whatever you want to call it here. Colin, I never noticed, but you noticed this.
1: Yeah, so obviously, first of all he speaks to the landlady and the landlady tells him that his rent is over a week overdue. So I, I made the assumption that you pay your rent monthly and that means he's probably been missing or gone for around a maximum of say five weeks or so. But when she opens up the room to let him into it, you see right away that he's not been there for a while. There's the dead goldfish or the dead fish in the fishbowl that have obviously died from not being fed but there's actually a couple of books up on the bookcase as well. And one of them is The Catcher in the Rye. And this is where the foreshadowing comes in, because Holden, in that book, his dream, his main focus is to be the catcher in the rye, which literally means somebody that can stop children or the innocent from falling over the edge, as we all know towards the end of the show. There's a a fall over the edge of a cliff (laughs) to an assumed death and it's maybe this is putting two and two together and getting five again, I don't know but if not, it's just another really, really great bit of foreshadowing and it's very, very Lost-like and this is what I was like when I was watching Lost freeze-framing, pausing scenes and looking in the background and seeing what was there and looking for Dharma logos and all sorts of stuff what book saw you reading this week? why is he reading that book? what was that about? and all this sort of stuff and already this show's doing that to me with that. So it's I love this shit, man. It's so good. It's
0: sweet. <laughs> <laughs> like Hajun basically hunts down Jihoon. Again, apologies for the pronunciation here. So the police officer finds her main man, wants to have this conversation with him. I think Jihoon has already admitted to himself that he's going to return back to the game, so he doesn't want anything to do with this police officer. Kind of faps him off, as we would say in Glasgow, but finds this business card wedged in his door basically. Unsurprisingly, he decides to go back with the other main characters. And just the way this is shot at the end, but they're all standing in the middle of the street and it cuts between them. The loneliness, the isolation that these people are right in the middle of the shot with nothing around them, standing there waiting to go back to. This fucking hell camp, because it's the only way out. It's sad and really hard hitting. I think again.
1: Yeah, it's it's just it's, it's tragic. It's awful, and it goes back to that. There's, this goes back to those sort of um, descriptions we gave earlier of the the world that they're living in and what the capital structure has created, and that these poor folk were at a pretty low place that took them to this even worse place where they witnessed the worst of humanity. They witnessed horrific scenes and people getting murdered left, right and centre. They managed to get themselves out of it. But the reality of their real life is just as grim or their future is so grim that they all, each time man, make the choice to go back here and take their chances with these horrific, barbaric, brutal games because the reality of the world that they found themselves in is just as bad, if not worse.
0: John Ho, the police officer, has decided to follow Jean Ho, basically, and follows him, which is, again, great storytelling. You know, you know what's going to happen here. I was kind of a little bit surprised that 67 was basically the only returning character that decided to prepare and pretend to be knocked out from the gas, basically. But again, she's in a different situation. Her brain is very much focused on family. Focuses her mind maybe a little bit more and she decides to pretend to be knocked out, whereas everybody else is so desperate that they actually allow themselves to be drunk. It's just a bit bizarre, I think.
1: I, I don't think she's quite as broken or desperate as the rest of them are. And the rest of them are quite happy just to just get me back there, it's fine. She's got a little bit more about her. She's inquisitive. She wants to know as much as she can to try and hopefully take advantage of the situation and stuff and find out more about what they're doing so I get why she would want to do that I would want to try and do that as well but I also understand why the rest didn't because life is shit they're about to do something horrific knock me out for as long as possible because I don't want to think about what's happening to me next
0: and that's basically the end of the episode we'll do some questions queries and theories questions queries Hi 456ers, just before we get to your part of the show, we would like to let you know that we also do a show called Wrong Term Memory, where we cover some true crime, some 90s pop culture, a little bit of history, some science, a whole range of things really.
1: Yeah, so if you enjoy listening to us, and not just listening to us talking about Squid Game, then just search in your podcast app of choice for Wrong Term Memory or visit our website at wrongtermmemory.com.
0: If you don't fancy doing that, you can offer your support for Player Four Five Six by leaving a review or rating.
1: Now, on with the show.
0: I've got my own one here that I'm going to leave to the end because it's a little bit out there. But uh, Weir Bear has been back in contact, which is great. We love those interactions at player456pod on Twitter. When the frontman's brother is looking for him, it appears he has recently vanished from a fairly normal life, but everything suggests he's been involved for a while. He asks here, do you think he was a player? Right now, on first viewing, no, but we obviously figure out things a little bit more as the series expands.
1: Yeah, I mean, as does Wear Bear, because he refers to him as the front man's brother, doesn't he? But yeah, I mean, obviously you find it later on with the records and stuff. But at this point, I think you just assume that he's just another player. His brother's just another player that's went missing and he's probably dead.
0: I think I mentioned this in the last episode. My assumption was that he was one of the first two guys that got murdered, basically.
1: Yes, uh-huh, and yeah, and that's his brother sort of thing. Another question coming from Pamela. That's a great question possibly the best one we have ever had. (laughs) Yeah, it's really good. She starts it with, probably not what you're looking for. Pamela, it's exactly what we're looking for. She asks, is it normal to eat dry super noodles out of the packet? No. (laughs) And it's not. I I watched this, and I watched um, Number One and um, 456 sat together eating these noodles, and I saw them crunching them. I thought, wait a minute. They've not even boiled these. They've not done anything with them. They're just eating hard, uncooked
0: ramen. But even then, it looks like they've poured a little bit of, it maybe the alcohol, into the middle of them. It kind of looks like there's a little bit of vodka, or whatever it is they're drinking, poured into the middle of it, and then they're just eating them like crisps. It's bizarre. Um, I kind of want to try some crispy noodles, to be fair, man. I kind of want to just go down and... and in Scotland, in the UK, uh, coconuts are probably the big thing. I've got a few packets of them sitting about. So it might actually, it might be not bad.
1: You'll break your teeth. Don't do it. Okay,
0: fair enough. This is just my own theory.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know you're laughing because you've read it. Sangwoo's mother, right? Her apron is a very similar colour to those that run the squid game, right? She's obviously a squid chef or a squid seller. She sells squid. I think she might have something to do with it. I think she might have found out about her son being some sort of criminal and is involved in the background somewhere. Being an old lady, similar age to Il Nam, the old man, I think she could be kicking about in seasons to come as a bit of a runner because she seems so innocent, as if she doesn't have a clue. But she's got a squid game, magenta, apron on, come on,
1: I think that's good uh, it's, it's it's definitely a theory, um, I think you might have jumped the shark slightly but you know what, this was created with no intention of a season 2 happening and there's going to be things that are shoehorned into season two to, to make things make sense and that's as good as anything so listen you, you if I don't think it's there for that reason but it could end up being used, and if it has, I hope you get the kudos and the credit for it because I've certainly not read that theory on the internet anywhere else. (laughs) Yeah,
0: this is designed basically to be the calm before the storm chapter, mate, intentionally showing us these guys' lives that are pretty awful before being thrust back into these games. Anything else to add before we wrap this up, mate?
1: No, I don't think so. I think I think, like I said, this is one of my favorite episodes because of the the story building it does, and it's it really just paints a picture for me of these people's lives, their motivations, and why they've went back and I said earlier that I was disappointed in the start of this episode because I thought we were losing all these characters and we were going to get a whole bunch of new ones starting the squid games all over again. Not only was I happy that that wasn't the case. I was doubly happy so to speak because I actually got to find out even more about these bunch of characters which helped me buy into them and support them all the more when I'm watching them further on in the season
0: yeah from what I've read nobody quite does class structure and commentary on that quite like the Koreans and from what I've watched a squid game I can definitely get behind that so Colin cheers mate